Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Netflix in Canada. I'm your host, Dylan Clark Moore, and today we're going to be talking about what we do in the shadows. Before we get into things, I do want to issue a few warnings about this episode. First of all, this conversation is not going to be shy about spoilers, so if that's the kind of thing you get grumpy about, please go watch the movie first. It's pretty funny. Also, we do keep the explicit tag on this show in case of language that may not be suitable for all listeners. With that out of the way, let's get into it. I'm very excited to be sitting down with my co-host from not just this podcast, but also our spin-off Nicolas Cage-themed podcast, Rattling the Cage, which you should be listening to as well. Welcome once again to Caroline Deason. How's it going? I am swell, Dylan, and I'm so excited to talk about today's movie. So, uh, you know, it's making it even better. And um, next time I talk to you, I'll be in Canada, which is really nice, too. It'll be great to have you back. It'll be great to have us both using the same Netflix catalog, which is really the most important part of our friendship. <laughs> it's a weird thing to say. All right. Um, <laughs> Caroline, just in case people haven't... Uh, <laughs> I'll ask you the same question as always. What kind of stuff have you been watching on Netflix recently? I haven't been watching any Netflix recently, actually. Um, the only stuff I've been watching is uh, stuff for Rattling the Cage. Um, which you plugged earlier, but I'll just plug again, um, has turned into just a super enjoyable thing that I look forward to every month, um, watching these movies and recording them, even though the last one was awful. Um, but you'll have to check out Rattling the Cage <laughs> for that. Um, but other than that, no, I haven't been watching anything on Netflix. And part of the reason for that is um, I'm not 100% certain there's anything on French Netflix that I'm excited to watch anymore. Uh, French Netflix is worse than Canadian Netflix, which is actually not that bad anymore, right? Like Canadian Netflix, there's been a marked improvement in the past like three or four years. Yeah, it does all right for itself. I think people say, I think uh, hearing American people talk about it, they say that our movie selection is better, but their TV selection is better. So uh, now see, I do prefer watching television shows over over movies. Um, so I could see how that could be, you know, something that I would prefer, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, to having Canadian Netflix back and, you know, just enjoying some of the things that uh, France has denied from me. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the movie that we're going to be talking about this episode is from the year 2014 from directors, if I fuck this up, you tell me. Yep. Uh, from directors Taika Waititi and Jemaine Clement. Yeah. We're going to be talking about what we do in the shadows. Yay! Let's take a quick boo over at how <laughs> at how Netflix describes these movies. Uh, the description it offers is vampire roommates struggle with the conflicts of sharing space, adapting to modern society, and dealing with too much natural light. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That'll, that'll get the hooks in. For sure. It's weird it's weird that it doesn't mention that it's a documentary though. Or a mockumentary, I guess. 
No, one one of the categories is mockumentary. Oh, okay. But the description didn't okay. mention that. That's fair. And the movie is described as both absurd and deadpan. Really? Deadpan. Which I'm fine with for both. Deadpan? I guess so. Uh, yeah. You, you don't agree with deadpan? What's, okay. What's what's our definition? What's the definition of deadpan? I mean, deadpan would be doing something ridiculous but treating it like it's normal. See, I see deadpan. I I thought of deadpan as being like. Someone who has deadpan delivery is like kind of monotone in their delivery and also um, not acknowledging that what they're saying is funny, which is the same as what you just said. But does that mean like, does that mean all mockumentaries are deadpan? Because the whole point of a mockumentary is it's making fun of this thing that the people who are being documented don't realize is funny. Right. Okay. I don't think that it, yeah. I, I think most mockumentaries would be deadpan. Okay. But... Yeah, I guess so. I, I, w- I hadn't thought about it that way. Well, there we go. Now you have. Now we've expanded everybody's mind just by reading off the description... Yes. ...on the profile page for what we do in the shadows on Netflix. <laughs> well, those profile uh, blurbs serve no other purpose to me, so <laughs> I, I'm glad that, um, you know, they did something for me for once. Caroline, I'll ask you the same question that I always do when when you bring a movie to this podcast for discussion. Why did you want to talk about what we do in the shadows? Oh, it's a great movie. It's a great movie for a few different reasons. And obviously, I mean, I've had this struggle with you in the past. And I think I might have talked about this in our Days and Confused episode that sometimes I hesitate to suggest movies that I'm very, very fond of because there might not be much for me to talk about other than like, it's great and I'm entertained. Um, but I think this movie given that it's a mockumentary and given that it was like a low budget, you know, relatively speaking, um, from a tiny production company in New Zealand and all this stuff, I think that there's something more to talk about rather than just saying how delightful it is and how fun it is. Um, But as soon as you told me that it was on Netflix, I got really excited because I knew I wanted to talk about it. It's maybe one of my favorite movies in... It's definitely one of my favorite movies in the last like four years, and it's it. Yeah, I won't I won't give too much away until we get to the end of the podcast. But yeah. Sorry, what was the last part? I won't give too much away until we get to the end of the podcast. I was about to say how many stars I gave it, but yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I I honestly like yeah. As I was watching this, I because I've seen it now. I think I watched it about six months ago because I'd seen you tweeting ferociously about how much you loved it after I think <laughs> Naomi recommended it to you, right? Yeah, she did. Yeah, thank you, Naomi. And then after my wife and I watched Thor Ragnarok, she just like had this this like hole in her heart where Taika Waititi used to be. Um, so I said, oh, well, you might like this. And she, she adored the movie and, and all of its oh, charms good. and everything as well. Um, and then you picked it for this. So I've, I, I never rewatch movies. So to have seen it like three times in a six month period um, and to still enjoy it is a pretty big feat. Um, but I, I came away from this with like admittedly little written down as far as notes because yeah. I felt like all I was doing was just kind of like noting jokes and explaining why some kinds of jokes worked. Yeah, and so, <laughs> like, if I'm being totally honest, I was like, Caroline better bring something to talk about because no, this I might don't. be a very short podcast. I was gonna say, I was actually gonna text you earlier and be like, "Hey, maybe this will be a short episode for once." <laughs> 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 uh, 
Um, but actually, I, I should point out too that after Naomi told me to watch it, I watched it, no joke. Remember how Days and Confused, I told you that the first time I watched it, I watched it for like every day for a week. Um, right. The same the same was for What We Do in the Shadows. I watched it, you know, 12 times in a month or something. And for a long right. time, it was one of those movies where I, I would just put on and have it going while I was doing other things. Um, a void that has been filled by Monster Factory videos since. But uh, right. yeah, like I've seen this movie a dozen times already, at least. Um, and yeah, it's it's infinitely rewatchable because of the charm and the jokes. But also I, I find something new every time that I watch it too, which is kind of um, not what I would expect from a kind of goofy comedy movie. Okay, so so what are some of the things then that you, you took away from it being like saying that, you know, like are worth talking about or worth mentioning beyond well, just the the charm? Well, part of the reason, the reason that Naomi suggested I watch it was because of Jemaine Clement. Um, because I was a, a fan of um, Flight of the Concords, the first season of Flight of the Concords. Yep. Forever ago now, uh, back in like 2006, um, which is also when they made the short, What We Do in the Shadows, that this movie, you know, was born from, born mm-hmm. out of. And so I was, you know, I was excited about it because Naomi said, you know, Jemaine's in it and it's vampires and you like vampires. And I was like, sure, okay, I'll try it. But I was hooked immediately with not Jermaine. I was excited about Jermaine and his character is fantastic. But this was my first experience seeing anything with Taika Waititi. And he, within like five minutes of being on screen, he just like exactly what your wife experienced probably. Just my heart was, my heart belonged to him. He was just (laughs) so adorable. Um, one of my favorite parts is right at the beginning when after there's that gag of him waking up from an alarm clock and he goes to the curtain and he's like, yes, nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) He's so cute and he's made even cuter with those fangs. And I was, I was surprised that my favorite character at the end of this was Viago and not uh, Vladislav. Obviously all the characters are fantastic. And then I started reading a bit more about the movie and I found out that Stu who is just such a great concept. Um, in fact, I, I heard that in the in the commentary, Taika says, I'm just going to call him by his first name, like we're friends. Um, Taika Waititi says that it's actually a movie about how cool Stu is. <laughs> 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 which, which just like sells it even harder about how endearing he is and how endearing this project is. But did you know that the person who played Stu is not an actor and did not know that he was going to be in the, mo- the movie that much. He was hired to be on set as an IT person. And then they were like, oh, can you just stand in for the scene? Oh, can you stand in for the scene and the scene and the scene and the scene and the scene? And every day it was more and more and more. <laughs> and that's why he is so perfect. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those movies that the more I read about it, the more I'm just like, oh, okay. Like all, all of that, what feels like a really organic charm it is actually organic charm. Yeah, so, you know, reading that fact about Stu and reading about the fact that I guess they filmed like 150 hours of mostly improvised scenes and they just uh-huh. they had to hack it down to 90 usable solid minutes. Like it's it's it like that sounds so true. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, obviously it is because <laughs> it's it's what happened. But no, but you can believe it for sure. Yeah. And 
Um, I guess there were even originally, uh, there were kind of two different cuts. Like there were two different versions of the movie that they originally cut down from the, the original 150 hours, one that was more story-based and then one that was more joke-based. And then this was kind of an, like an amalgam of both. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, so they were just kind of like, okay, well, let's tell our story, but let's try to be as funny as possible at the same time, just mush them together and try to make it work. I love it. Yeah, and I mean, like, sometimes just when you do that kind of thing, that sort of, like, improvisational sort of thing, like, I had the the same thing happen with, uh, uh, fuck, what is the name of that, uh, with the movie Coherence that I did a few weeks back, um, where it was a similar thing, where, you know, there was a general script outline, but the the cast wasn't given a script per se they were just kind of told to improvise and to do whatever they could to make the scene move forward but be as funny as possible and often that kind of thing can lead to disaster where (laughs) you know if you just tell people be funny it's not going to happen but in this case it it turned out to be this incredibly charming thing yeah i was gonna say too that so you know i was i was in love with taika immediately but then the credits started and that fantastic song choice on top of the coolest credit sequence ever with like the most detail ever. And I was trying to find online if there was kind of someone who had broken down all those images. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where it's it's them either drawn or etched depending on the time period that is being shown or in superimposed into photos um, over, you know, the centuries that each of them has been alive. And they're all completely done in, you know, painstakingly um, painstakingly adhering to the type of medium that would have been the one that was being used when Peter was young and when Vladislav was young versus when Viago was young and also not a vampire yet or had just become a vampire. Because um, I guess they're the same, technically the same age. I mean, young in the sense of like temporal time. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, whoa, this is amazing. This is a lot of detail that has gone onto this. Oh, I should say, too, that I, as soon as, the, the, when it first opens and it's it, it has, like, the New, New Zealand Film Council um, right. logo, which reminds me so much of, like, the Canadian Film Board or whatever oh, logo. the Canadian Film Board, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that we would have seen a million times in, in primary school watching before, you know, whatever movies we were watching then. Um, so yeah, that was an incredibly cute touch too. Uh, but yeah, that the opening sequence with their, their different photos of like different New Year's or different um, parties uh, over the past century was fantastic as well. So right away, I kind of like sat up and I was like, okay, wait, this is maybe a bit more of a sophisticated movie than I thought it was going to be in that I was kind of just expecting a whole bunch of jokes about... Uh, you know, Twilight, where there were some jokes about Twilight, but not that many. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. I just realized this is our second time podcasting about a vampire movie together. <laughs> yes. And actually, that's a perfect segue about what I was about to say, um, is that we watched Interview with a Vampire. We talked about inter- Interview with a Vampire. And one of my other favorite things about this movie is that each one of the flatmates represents a different type of vampire. And right. that there's, you know, d- all these different types of vampire lore we talked about this in an interview where you know different vampires can do different things and different vampires act differently and so i'm assuming you could guess but viago is definitely the anne rice vampire um the the like foppish dandy who is very elegant and um doesn't want his 
couch to get. Sorry, he would never say couch. He would say settee or something probably <laughs> to get blood on it. Um, and then Vladislav obviously is supposed to be the impaler. And his, his, his scenes with, um, there's a, a comment, uh, one of, one of Jemaine's, sorry, one of Taika's comments during the, uh, the commentary is, I have to read it word for word because it's better that way. Um, there's Jemaine in a little mini orgy scene that he wrote for himself. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously that is his character. Like that's what Vladislav would have, but yeah, the, the, he's got a torture chamber and yeah. Um, that was also a, a, a lovely little detail that I really liked. I also read that because they were cognizant of how they were marrying all these different types of vampirism, they the scene where Viago puts on the silver necklace and it starts to burn his skin, I guess someone, like, while they were filming that, someone of the crew said, well, you know that vampires can't even touch silver. And apparently that's from True Blood or something. You watch True Blood, right? Or you I did, did watch True Blood? Yeah. yeah. Did that ever, do you remember that coming up? Uh, the ability to touch silver? Yeah. Because obviously vampires can be killed by silver, like a werewolf right. can be killed by a silver bullet. Um, but yeah, so, so so someone was like, uh, I, in true blood. And then so they were like, sure, put it in. <laughs> we'll, we'll have that too. <laughs> we'll just we'll just cherry pick all the lore that we, you know, that is useful for us. That's kind of one of the fun things that you can do at this point with any kind of vampire or, I mean, really with like werewolf lore, or like with anything like that. I mean, werewolves are a little bit more... Uh, like cut and dry in terms of like there are three main points that you hit but with vampires we've seen so many different kinds at this point that you can really pick and choose just whatever's convenient for your story exactly and with with this they were just like let's just have fun with all of it why not exactly um so if we wanted to kind of talk about some of our favorite gags one of my favorite gags okay first of all jackie is such a great character she's so funny and she's so great to watch um, and I'm so excited for her when she becomes a vampire at the end, finally. Um, and that when she's ironing the shirts and talking about how she had a penis, she would have been made a vampire a long time right. ago is a great uh, a great joke. But did you notice my favorite throwaway joke that if you blink, you miss it, or if you're not sure, if you don't know the reference, you miss it. Did you notice when, um, and now I'm forgetting his damn name, what the hell is not Vladislav and not Viago? Deacon. Sorry. So when Deacon comes to her house and her kids are still awake and she tells them to go to sleep, do you did you notice the the name that she uses for one of her kids? No, I didn't catch it. She has named one of her kids Akasha. Oh, that's the that's the Queen of the Damned, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> wow. Oh, and I just went red twice, by the way, laughing at that, but sorry. Um, but yeah, so she has named her child Akasha, the Queen of the Damned from the Anne Rice book, which is such a good little joke if you know, like, if you know the name and if, you know, if you can pick up on it. Um, but yeah, though, no, it's oh, so funny because you can tell that this, so this is this, like, Jackie's the type of person who has been into vampires her whole life and this has been her, like, you know, big thing and it's like an aesthetic thing for her and a lifestyle thing for her. Uh, yeah, no, I, I loved it. Yeah, I think, I mean, there there are certainly, like, little bits that jump out at me as being just, like, hysterical. Like, um, uh, when when Viago is being, like, a huge, what they call him, a dandy, 
about you know laying down towels on the couch and then he does that he you know he preps the floor with the with the newspapers and everything and then you know it just the he bites into an artery by mistake and it blows up and hits him in the face yeah um it makes the biggest mess ever laugh out loud funny and then later uh when they do the callback joke after they meet nick and they're killing Nick and the uh, the other non-virgin girl at the party, and he's doing the same fucking thing again. Like he just I cannot know. learn his lesson. And that's well, that's and also like he's been doing this for how many hundreds of years? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the general vibe that I loved so much about this movie is that I mean we we went through this whole montage of history of learning about like when everybody got turned into a vampire and how long they've had to like perfect this thing, but also these characters haven't specialized anything like they're all affected and kind of terrible at what they do like they can't hypnotize people very well they're really bad at blending into to modern culture they're just like despite having all of eternity to prepare and become like the pinnacle of the kind of creature that they are they've just kind of developed this ineptitude over time that's well practiced and a really hard habit to break this and is true got, that Except... that vibe is so endearing Yes, that's very true. Except for, according to the other two, Vladislav used to be an expert at mind control right. and at turning into animals, and now he doesn't get the faces right, which is also a hilarious uh, <laughs> little uh, scene. Especially because they don't do it. I, I really like. I've talked about this before, but I really like when movies don't spoon feed you. So an American movie. I'm going to go on record saying this. An American movie would have um, had that line. He never gets the faces right, and then cut immediately to that scene of him as a cat with a human face. But it happens a little later. And if you forgot about that part or didn't hear it or whatever, you would be really confused. But that's, you know, it really helps you. Um, Well, they do cut to the etching, right? Like they've got like an etching or a sketch or something that they cut to immediately after that. But then you get the real payoff later during that chase sequence. Right. Yeah. Because I, I could see someone kind of just like not really paying super close attention to that and then seeing that the the actual uh, physical representation and being really weirded out if they weren't paying attention. Um, but there were a couple things, even though I've seen this movie millions of times, there's a couple things that stood out to me on this watch that I had not caught before. And they're kind of serious things. So they're good for a podcast, I guess. Uh, but if sure. you want, I'll bring them. I'll bring them up. Um, so I love, I love the werewolves, because I absolutely, right. <laughs> I love Reese Darby. Like coming, I've only ever seen him in Flight of the Concords, and then seeing him in this role was amazing. Because in Flight of the Concords, he doesn't play that, you know, an alpha male role at all, right? Um, and he does it really well in this. And I love how he has to tell everybody at the party, you know, he has to tell four people that he's the alpha male. Um, and that all the werewolves are just pretty dumb and they are very happy to just bro out and be led by this alpha male guy. But they also talk about like having wives that clean their, their pants and things like that. So I, I find, I, I don't know a lot about werewolf lore. I know a fair bit amount of vampire uh, lore of different types of authors. And I'm not sure if you know anything about ver- or werewolf lore, but if you do, I would like love some elucidation about like, do werewolves kind of live just normal everyday lives, except for when they like they can go out during the day and they can. Yeah, t- yeah. I mean, typically, and I mean, this is coming from just like 
stories and Buffy and Harry Potter, basically. But it, it's right. typically that, yeah, you're fine and you can navigate the world and everything. Like you might have some heightened senses or some like more animalistic instincts. Um, but typically it's either on the night of the full moon or on the days surrounding it that things get pretty hairy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so there's an actual like transformation that happens. Right. Um, it seems to be implied with this that it's more like the uh, the like the the animal instinct and the transformation can be triggered by like heightened emotional states, kind of more right. like these these werewolves seemed more like the Incredible Hulk, except they actually have to transform on a full moon. So this is what I noticed this time around is that I think that that is saying something about toxic masculinity, in that for two reasons: one controlling aggression and have it becoming a literal monster and um how uh sorry i got his character name anton has to control them and and tell them that it's not worth it and they do these breathing exercises and these other things that that are you know possibly not the most masculine things when it comes to stereotypical masculine stuff um how he doesn't let them swear (laughs) These are these are things that I think are representative of kind of like an online knee-jerk reaction culture of toxic masculinity that Anton is now trying to train these pretty dull boys out of, um, which I think is really interesting. And I hadn't noticed it until today. It's like the opposite of MRA, where he's, he's showing them like a really masculine um, role model, a masculine role model um, to aspire to, but it's not this toxic, aggressive masculinity. He's talking about like controlling your aggression and, um, you know, not being outwardly uh, uh, aggressive to people and not being offensive either. Like when the one guy, you know, uses a, a gay slur against Viago, and Anton says that it's only appropriate if you're talking about a bundle of sticks. Um, right. <laughs> and he's like, he's totally, he's totally against that. He's not, you know, this is, he has the chance to be as um, dude bro as the rest of them. And he is, right. he, he always sets a really good example, which I thought was, I always thought yeah. was funny. But this time around when I was watching it, it hit a bit closer to home basic based on things that have been happening in our world recently. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, uh, the whole idea of like respectability <laughs> amongst these monsters is uh, something that you see in the Masquerade Ball or the Masquerade Undead Masquerade, whatever the the branding of the party is. Yeah, um, the Unholy Masquerade. The Unholy Masquerade. Oh, that's one little joke that I loved. Is that what do they call it? Like the the something cathedral, the like the the location that it's at. They've got yeah, this, like, really sinister <laughs> name for it, and it ends up being a bowling like a community. <laughs> se- oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Go ahead. I, I also really loved just like before because i know what you're getting to but just i'll interject about that when they're like on behalf of the you know something 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 society and the something something like it's just so boring <laughs> what they're talking about they're talking about these societies of vampires werewolves and zombies yeah but yeah yeah and i mean you have the you have the zombie doing the same thing the the kind of like yeah. leader zombie who's just like no less, no we're really trying to get over that whole like uh yeah. stereotype and he's like coaching everybody through it and trying to be as like decent and respectable yeah. as possible I thought yeah. that was really cute. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely cute, and it's it's not something that I've ever seen in, in a like a horror or scary type of like you know whether it be funny or not. Um, I've never seen yeah. zombies or vampires or well vampires for sure. Vampires are known to be elegant, 
Um, but yeah, this kind of practice of, of trying to be civil is something that's uh, very endearing. Usually, you know, you see vampires being kind of like, as soon as you get turned, you end up being this like pinnacle of class. Um, that's kind of the, the way that things normally go. Like everything gets easier. Everything gets amazing because you have all these superpowers and you just kind of like develop a sense of style. And it's just, I love that these characters, they never stop being people like they're still in a, in a lot of cases when somebody becomes a vampire in whatever they're just they become this other thing and it's it's really it can be hard to make it relatable because you're dealing with like extremes of human emotion as opposed to this movie just really dealing with what if you take a person with all of the insecurities that they've had in human life and you just stretch that out over a really long period of time yeah for sure i i can see that definitely in deacon where he's threatened by Nick, the the new young cool vampire. Right. Yeah, and how he's he wears a vaguely similar military-esque fashion sense. Um yeah, no, I agree completely that that is different. However, um sorry, I agree completely that that is happening, but I'm not 100% sure if it's necessarily different because I would say that the character of Lestat and the characters of Lestat and Louis in Interview with the Vampire have the same problem where um they're now superhuman, like they're they're not human anymore, and they have all these things that make it make their lives superhuman. Um, but both of them still suffer from their. For Lewis, it's his melancholia, and for Lestat, it's like a, a type of possessiveness. And both of those are amplified when they become vampires. Right. I guess. So I guess most of the vampire lore that I'm used to is from Buffy, where it's basically like as soon as you turn, then there's like a, a physical reaction that happens, where like you're like in that universe the soul is a real thing and it gets stripped away and you're free to be like the most evil vicious version of yourself mm, that's um very uh convenient for plot writing isn't it it sure is especially <laughs> when they start putting people's souls back into them and everything it's very handy so this is just a completely nerdy thing for anybody any Anne rice fans out there but in the book the vampire listat um listat's mother when she turns into a vampire she arguably is becoming the type of vampire that you're talking about and i don't necessarily mean evil but she becomes like so supernatural that like even relationships between other vampires don't seem to matter to her anymore you know what i mean like nothing mm -hmm. relationship wise matters and in that way it's kind of more similar to um oh my god my brain is not working super quickly tonight what's the what's the vampire movie with tilda swinton and Loki. What we do in the shadow? Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> That's what I was gonna no, say too. Fuck. Uh, right? No, we did it on this podcast. The yeah, Detroit you did. one. Um, you did it with Andrew. Shout out to Andrew Weiss. Uh, uh, not till death. No, only lovers left alive. There we go. Nailed there it. There it is. Okay. After a very but long. I also, I also I'm gonna leave that to entire it... blank spot there, Good. <laughs> so we I... can hear how hard I struggled to come up with that. <laughs> well, I also wanted to call it "What We Do in the Shadows." Only lovers left alive, and what we do in the shadows seem like. I don't know, similar number of syllables or something. Anyway, so in that way, I guess it's more like the relationship between the only lover, lovers left alive, where it's 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 kind of just like so so focused on the eternity of their new state that petty relationship things don't get in the way. So in Anne Rice books, that can happen, but there's like different stages of vampire, and it's kind of a crapshoot about. Well, it might not be a crapshoot. I'm sure someone can point that out to me that why they why different ones turned out to be different levels of vampirism and power. Right. I guess I guess like ultimately what I'm saying is that these 
these characters except for maybe peter like none of them have yeah. transcended anything <laughs> like they are right. still bogged down by everything in their lives like nick is obviously a very new vampire but like his moment of crisis comes when he realizes that he can't eat fries anymore like this, <laughs> it's this this petty mundane stuff that still bugs people and like the fact that the dishes aren't done the fact that they can't get into the cool clubs like there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing well i mean there's there's nothing unironically cool about these characters and it's great yeah, my one of my favorite scenes is when it says that they're going out vampire style and none of them say vampire style at the same time. And then the very next scene cuts to them on the bus, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> going, all dressed up and going to the club. But so, yeah, two things. Uh, Peter definitely represents that type of vampire that is obviously does not care to interact with the other ones on the same level. Um, uh, what was the second thing you said? Oh, yeah, the dishes. I don't know. Like, if you were undead and... You're flatting with people forever. <laughs> like, there's no conceivable reason for you ever to move out of this house. Things like the dishes piling up are probably going to get on under your skin. Um, things like being bored in Wellington, which, by the way, did you look up what the population was of Wellington? <laughs> or are no, you aware no, of what the population is? No, I have no is? idea. Can you guess? Guess what the population of Wellington is? I don't know, like in the tens of thousands? Well, no, but you undershot on purpose there because I I set it up. I I wanted to be right is what I wanted. <laughs> these aren't these aren't prices right rules. Um, uh, the population of Wellington is two hundred thousand, which is less than half of the population of the town that we come from. Which means that that club that they went to was bumping. That was like everybody in right. Wellington was at this club, uh, and yeah. So that's yeah. Like there's not a lot to do in this place, and other than I mean, damn, these guys are going to run out of people to eat soon. <laughs> um, well, especially if they keep, there. yeah, especially if they keep turning people instead of, uh, instead of just eating them. Yeah, true. That's another, yeah, they, uh, that's a, yeah, by the something time, they don't I mean, come up with. By the time you get to the masquerade, because the masquerade is for like that local community. It's not yeah. for like vampires from all, all over New Zealand. New Zealand. Like there's a, no. that's a well-populated party. There's a lot yeah. of undead or, uh, and what's the phrase that, the zombie uses when he's talking to Stu and he's trying to be like really really woke about it pre-deceased that's what it was yeah very cute um okay so do you want me to get to the other part that stood out to me this time yeah please do and I actually read a little bit about this now today because I wanted to see if uh if anybody else you know pointed it out and obviously they did um so at the beginning when Deacon is talking about his transformation his history he says that he's a Nazi. He was a Nazi vampire, and uh, he, you know, talks about Hitler. There's this clip of Hitler saying that he's got a secret army of vampires, and that's how he's going to win the war and everything. Um, and then Deacon says, "So when the Nazis lost that war, the the Nazis lost that war. I'm not sure if you knew that the Nazis lost that war, <laughs> right? And I had always thought that was a good joke. You know, I I always smiled at it or, or whatever because I thought that it was representative of how removed these guys are from society when it comes to like for them it's only been a couple a couple years since 1945 right in their in their kind of concept of time so that's what i thought the joke was that by the way did you hear that i don't know if the news got out about that that type of thing right yeah yeah and today the way that i saw it was completely different i saw it as a tongue-in-cheek look at the camera 
to the audience to say, hey, by the way, um, being a Nazi is bad and Nazis lost the war and you're not supposed to be a Nazi. Right. And so I went and looked that up to see if anybody agrees with me. And that is how they wrote it. And they said that American audiences did not find that funny, didn't get the joke. And New Zealand audiences were like, ha ha, Nazi Americans, what idiots, like immediately, (laughs) immediately got the joke and thought it was funny, uh, which just blew my mind because I've, I've watched this movie 50 times, a million times. And it was only today, in light of recent events, that it kind of shocked me into realizing that, oh, wait, the joke is not that, you know, they're removed from the news cycle. The joke is actually that they're very into the news cycle and are wondering, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this this should not be happening. They lost. So did you, how did you interpret that joke the first time you heard it? Um, yeah, I, I, I took it as more of the first, but not so much... Uh, about like hey it's just been a short period of time for them like you said it was more about like them being so so detached from the world that they don't know what what's important and what's not but I mean the the like you said the the actual reading is a lot more interesting although do you know about Taika Waititi's new project because it's it's very on point with this joke no tell me okay I'm gonna read you the description uh, according to IMDb So a World War II satire about a 10-year-old boy who, ridiculed by his peers and misunderstood by his mother, can't quite figure out how to fit in, as the naive young German struggles to understand his place in in an increasingly fascist regime, he resorts to an imaginary friend to be played by Taika, who can offer advice and help him cope. And that imaginary friend's name is Adolf Hitler. Holy shit. (laughs) So this movie's called- And Taika's gonna play him? uh, Taika Waititi's playing Hitler, yeah. Oh my god. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the movie called? Sorry, keep going. It's called uh, Jojo Rabbit. Okay. Wow. So, uh, also starring Scarlett Johansson, Rebel Wilson, and Tom or Sam Sam Rockwell. Oh my god. Why does so everything have to have Scarlett thing. Johansson in it? Fuck me. It was so good until you mentioned Scarlett Johansson. But anyway, I'll watch it. <laughs> <sighs> uh, so yeah, obviously uh, obviously, uh, World War II and the, the shadow of Hitler definitely on Taika Waititi's mind. Well, yeah, because he's a person of color from, uh, you know, a really... He's a Jewish person of color. Is he? I didn't know he was Jewish. By the way, he gets some, like, so I also watched part of, because I, I didn't really want to sit through the whole thing just before doing the podcast, because I didn't want to mix right. them up. But I, I watched the short, like part of the short today. Okay. And the short is from 2006. And that's how many years ago now? It's 2018. So that's 12 years ago, right? It looks like it's about 30 years ago. <laughs> like these guys <laughs> look so different. They look like tiny little babies. Um, and uh, all of them aged really well. Like they all look way better now than they did then. So, um, And also it's really sad the... Like the fangs that they're all wearing are really bad, um, and really take take away from uh, away from it. But I also read something today that in the commentary, um, they talk about when they first filmed the short. They were walking down the streets of Wellington, you know, at night to film a a, a scene of them walking in their costumes, which is exactly the same scenes that happened in the the movie that was that we're talking about today. And in 2006, they were getting tons and tons of homophobic slurs thrown at them. 
and not just dubros, but they were saying women and children were calling them homos the whole time they were walking down the street. And then fast forward to when this was filmed, which was 2015, right? No, 2014 it would have been. 2014, oh. yeah. Yeah, 2014. When this is filmed, uh, apparently when they filmed that scene, uh, they got no street harassment at all. And that's why they include that part where someone does yell homo at them. And apparently the guy that they got on the street to do that was like really reluctant to do it. <laughs> Did not oh. want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why he's off screen. Like he's, you know, they, it was, it's not a, a proud moment for this extra. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they 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 pointed out in the commentary how happy they are to have a change in the outward homophobia of Wellington, at least. Yeah, um, I'm just seeing an interview now, uh, a conversation I guess he had with a publication called the JC, where he talks about uh, New Zealand being quote a racist place. So it sounds like yeah, there's some there's some stuff that he's not not shying away from in this movie as well. Yeah. And I mean, Australia is definitely a racist place. Uh, my cousins live there. And I mean, it's just kind of well known. But I know that a lot of people think that New Zealand is a lot less. And in comparison to Australia, it probably is. But I think that New Zealand suffers from the same type of, oh, well, at least we're not Australia, just like Canadians suffer from, oh, well, at least we're not Americans, where a lack of examining our lingering racism and homophobia and sexism because we are not as uh because it's more insidious and because it's not as loud and brash as someone else's right. is you know just as as um harmful right <laughs> well it's a really easy thing to do i mean i do oh. it, like I, I remember doing it all the time with my siblings not necessarily with racism but just like hey at least i'm not this ass clown over here oh that's yeah yeah i mean I, that's yeah like when you're growing up, that's kind of what siblings are for. <laughs> um, but I was going to say too that another thing that I loved is when um, there's the two little girls who were turned into vampires, which is just <laughs> the so hard sad. Candy girls, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's like it's just so sad to turn like tiny kids into the vampires, except like because Claudia in uh, Interview with a Vampire like has a terrible life as a result, right? Right. But but then the fact that they go out and they lure pedophiles. To kill them is just so badass. <laughs> and I, I want like a, a comic book series about these two little girls who are actually, you know, hundreds of years old or whatever. And right. uh, by the way, a uh, little bit of trivia, the 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 living meat package or whatever they call that, that man who's in a cage that they're going oh, to raffle off. At, at the meat draw? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is those little girls real life father. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I just love, I just love I all these. I hope they win. Yeah. <laughs> So they get to, yeah, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I, I really love all these little things about how this was such a tiny insular production and how they went out of their way to use um, people who were not actors. For instance, two fantastic characters, the um, Constable O'Leary. She's not an actor. She was a, a kindergarten teacher. And, you know, her presence makes it just so great like if she was an actor it wouldn't have worked um her her just like by the book you know i've got these these things that i have memorized that i'm supposed to say um and i don't mean as an actor i mean as a cop o'leary right. as a cop has these certain certain phrases that she needs to use in order to ingratiate herself into your home 
and she just does it with this like kindness that is very indicative of, of her kindergarten teacher as an actor but also right. like as what i think of like maybe a small town cop um by the way they're they're doing a six episode mini series about those two cops right. and they're calling it like paranormal wellington investigation or something because <laughs> and at the end where she's like yeah th these attacks are happening on a monthly basis and it's you know it's it's bad for the dogs it's certainly not good for the community <laughs> the fact that she doesn't mention the you know the person that's been mauled to death right um and then that poor dog. Well, she said, yeah, no, yeah it's, it's even better because she says, worst of all for the dogs. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's another great, like, tragic part is uh, is when they just, like, find a stray dog and they're like, well, yeah, this one's going to get put down. Like, it's yeah. so, so dark. Yeah. I hope there's a deleted scene of the dog escaping or something. And, like, anyway. Uh, um, but my other favorite uh, character who is just uh, a person, you know, that they found and it's not at all an actor, is Catherine, um, the the very old lady who lives in the uh, retirement community. They actually went to go scout the retirement community for filming there, met this woman, and said she'd be a perfect Catherine, and she was thrilled to be in the movie, and so they, she's not at all an actor. She's literally oh, an man. old lady living in a, in a really? retirement community. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best. I know. <laughs> Like, how great would it be if that was your grandmother or something, right? Like, this is, like, the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, and she's so cute. And it, the the end of the movie just makes me tear up every time because of that, that joke about the, like, oh, the age difference. But then they flip it and it's actually, right. she's the young one. And, yeah. It's such a nice way to end it because, like, like I, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything that's not blatantly obvious. But just, like I said, it's the... Like they they never lose their humanness, and like he never gets over this crush that there's this person yeah. who, you know, he was willing to chase around the whole world, and then due to this terrible circumstance that could never have happened to an actual person in the modern age, like you're not gonna get accidentally shipped somewhere for eighteen months, like it's not possible. But just yeah, this this supernatural reason for him to miss the boat and to try to do the right thing. And to be, you know, makes the noble choice, as he says. Yeah. And it, oh, man. But then he still ends up with her at the end. And it's not about, ah, oh, it's so good. Right. And she had a, a whole long, nice life with her husband. So it's not, you know, there's no weird weirdness there or anything. Yeah, it's really sweet. So why or what do you think? There's this the part where Nick is floating inside. We haven't talked about Nick at all, which is funny because he really wants to be talked about. But um because uh, he's always going around at the bars saying that he's a vampire. <laughs> um, but uh, so when Nick is floating outside of their window when he first comes over and Deacon is just angry at him and would yell at him regardless of the situation. But Deacon specifically says, you're, you're going to be drawing attention to your to this house. And then Nick points out that well, you have an entire documentary uh, crew here. You know, you're obviously already drawing attention to the house. Wh what do you think? Like, what's going to happen with this documentary? What's the what's the conceit here are they are they going to be worried about that or because the, i don't the movie doesn't touch on that at all right like because they're worried about the cops finding out yeah um then this documentary is going to come out yeah i really don't know because they're, they're certainly planning on outliving the camera crew i think it's just more <laughs> about like it's it's vanity right like it's yeah you know it's like nick calls out that you know, you have this whole camera crew following you around. Like, I'm doing it to get attention at bars, but you're doing, <laughs> you're allowing this crew of people to follow you around. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's anything more than that. And I mean, sometimes this kind of mockumentary thing, if you kind of go behind the camera a bit too much, then like I know that's why a lot of people got pretty upset about the last season of The Office when we started right. seeing like the documentary crew and everything. Right. And then, you know, they actually like watched, I think, like the first episode or something like they actually showed the characters montages from the series and they were they kind of implied that the show gets shown to other people like I think it's it's better to just kind of accept the format because it's a it's a trusted format and not necessarily have to do anything with it because a lot of like found footage stuff for instance you know they end up starting off in this really you know trying to figure out the conceit and trying to like fit it in like uh, this this is video that was found in an evidence locker in Area 51 after the Great War of 1955 or whatever. Like, you know, I think you can just like ruin the fun of it by by working too hard at it, right? Or by explaining the joke. Definitely, I did like how they um they said that they had that caveat at the beginning that all the all the crew members are wearing crucifixes, so don't worry. <laughs> They'll be okay. Yeah. Although that doesn't save them from the werewolves. Not at all. One other thing that, I mean, this is kind of what I've already touched on, like the the way that they blend uh, the supernatural with the mundane um, is the way that uh, Vladislav deals with Pauline, his ex-girlfriend. Right. Oh, by the way, she Uh, is like my least favorite character because I think the acting is very bad. I I would be inclined to agree with that. She seems like she's trying to do a oh i forget her name so i'm not gonna bother making the reference um (laughs) yeah i just i love the idea that like the way that that relationship gets mythologized because (laughs) of vladislav the way he tells the story and the way that um the people around him have adopted the terminology that he uses like they all call her the beast as well and you know they throw this 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 drawing of just like this vaguely human shape with just like a penis sticking out of the torso (laughs) they build this up as this like huge conflict this enormous thing and then you find out that it's a person and he's like a a jilted ex-lover and everything and it's just like that's that's how that's how these stories that's how stories period get built they all start with something small and they start with you know maybe a very raw emotion and an unresolved thing and you just you build it up in your mind and you build it up when you talk to people about it. And that's how something becomes mythological. And right. I thought that was just this really cool, small way of showing that. Right. Because with with this group of people, you actually think that it might be a supernatural beast. And she is. I mean, she's a vampire. Um, but yeah, you didn't think that she was just a, a, a vampire. Um, exactly. An, ex, an ex-girlfriend. Yeah, um, that was that was the, like this really fun punchline is the the total undercutting yeah. of that that you're expecting this this really like I don't know like some fifty foot slug monster or something. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's just a person who hurt our boy. Yeah, exactly. They're such good friends. Like I love how they they all have each other's back. And my, I mean, like Taika said about how it's a movie about how cool Stu is. My, the part that. Well, I'll, I I hesitate to say my favorite part because I feel like one I've said that a couple times already, but two it's all my favorite part. But maybe the best part about this movie because it was the thing that I expected the least was just how much they love Stu <laughs> and how how Stu is such a good guy and they're all so fond of this person. <laughs> um, and it's not out of I mean obviously Stu really helps them with this like I don't know if you noticed but it's all very archaic technology even for 2014 right like the phones they're using are 
like really old brick type phones and you know not smartphones and the laptop they have is really old too but yeah they're all just very fond of this person uh in a way that you know because they say that they haven't had a human friend in a really long time because they don't have human friends they just they eat them or they turn them and the person becomes a vampire um and when (laughs) he's like the reddest guy i've ever seen (laughs) <laughs> I just want to eat him so bad. <laughs> yeah. No, the affection that they have for Stu is so heartwarming and so yeah. believable. Except for, like he doesn't seem like he's pretty unremarkable. And that's I know kind exactly. Of part that's of the what charm. like I can't. You, that, that's what's so funny is that you can't really like. You're like really like why why do you like Stu so much? But it's just that's what that's part of what makes it so great because it's just Stu's a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, and but you can't also, argue like, with that. Stu is a wonderful person. Jiu-jitsu or something. Like, like yeah. there's, there's a bit more going on under the surface, but like we never get to see it. We just kind of have to take it at face value. It might even just be that they've like, they've let somebody get close and they're actually spending time with a human. And so, yeah. you know, having a connection with somebody is better than not having those connections at all. And you end up seeing the wonder of a person the more time you spend with them. Right. That's exactly what I mean is that this is not a... It, typically or sorry this is not an atypical systems analyst or whatever right like the fact that he knows jujitsu okay fine like just like some systems analysts i'm sure go cycling on the weekends or whatever right like it's just his 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 sport um but that doesn't necessarily make him like more and this is no disrespect i'm not trying to be disrespectful to Stu, but i'm just saying that he's a boring person <laughs> like he's he's a very That's you know funny. he's he's sold as a boring person and the fact that he knows jujitsu i don't think makes him necessarily more interesting like i don't think there's a lot more under the surface that we don't know about him i think that that's just kind of like his physical activity um but yeah and that's what that's that's the thing is that they haven't had reason to to be friendly with a human in so long and deacon does talk about that where he watched all his friends die and they were obviously humans so the idea is that after that you just don't make any new friends because it's very difficult, I'm sure, to like have that kind of trust with someone new and be like, oh, by the way, this is my life situation. So when they're living in this flat, they can benefit from the fact that Nick is a brand new vampire and still has living friends. Like Stu, who's just such right. a good guy. All right. Well, Caroline, this has been a fun chat talking all about what we do in the shadows. I want to wrap this up the same way that we always do, which is, of course letting me know what this got on your Netflix profile as far as a thumbs up or a thumbs down. But I also know how much you love your Letterboxd. So uh, if you want to throw in a star rating in there as well. And if you'd like to pick an MVP from the movie, I think I've got a guess about who you'd choose, but I'm curious <laughs> this time around. Um, well, it definitely gets a thumbs up for sure on my on my uh, Netflix profile um, easily. And let me just double check. I'm quite certain, but I'm just going to double check. Um, I gave it four stars on Letterboxd, and I would probably want to change that to like a 4.5 now. My rating system is very loosey-goosey. 4.5 or even a 5, uh, whatever. I really love this movie. Um, and so much that I even put the liked heart on it on Letterboxd. And, uh, my MVP is definitely, uh, Taika. Taika Waititi. Um, because he blew me away, um, as Viago. Uh, he's my favorite part of the movie, but also he fucking wrote and directed it. So come on. Uh, for me, that's a definite thumbs up. Uh, if I didn't want to watch it a third time, I would have, for the first time in Netflix history, said no to a movie. Uh, I was happy to watch it again. I oddly enough just forgot like the last third of the movie. 
like <laughs> when the opening crawl came up and it said that you know the unholy masquerade is coming i was like do they ever actually get to the unholy masquerade and yeah just like that chunk of the movie gone from my brain completely um so that was pleasant <laughs> to to watch that watch, whole sequence again did you watch the part after the credits i watched the whole thing yeah when uh fuck deacon Oh yeah, that's my problem. Is that I I am too susceptible to hypnotism, and Deacon made yeah. me forget the movie. Yeah, Deacon made you forget this part <laughs> um, of the movie. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that's why I forgot his name too. Um, and then my MVP <laughs> for this time around, I mean, like in my heart of hearts, it's got to be Taika Waititi because mm-hmm. not only is he this like incredibly charming, endearing character, but also like considering the fact that he is at least semi responsible for writing and directing the thing. Um, along with Jermaine Clement. But on this viewing of it, the person who I appreciated the most was uh, Corey Gonzalez-Macour? Sorry about the pronunciation, but uh, the guy who plays Nick. Because oh, okay. Yeah. I felt like Nick brought the kind of like... And I mean, it's because he was playing a human character, so it's <laughs> or a largely human character and like a new vampire. But he was almost on the level of Stu of like being natural. And just seeing, yeah. like, this is what this person is actually like, but he's a professional actor and has been in a bunch of stuff before. I feel yeah, like he's very good. Yeah, he his was the most charactery character, rather than kind of a, uh, like a character of a type of a vampire. And I mm, felt like that yeah. deserved to be recognized because, yeah, he's. It's easy to kind of think of the three main guys as being like the the real standouts, but I feel like yeah, you know, Stu and Nick deserve their props too. Well, for sure. And we didn't even really talk about Nick, but yeah, um, Nick really sells it as being a, a documentary. He really seems like a, a, a guy off the street rather than a, an actor, which is exactly what that role needed for sure. Well, thank you, Caroline, for picking this and for carrying, if I'm being totally honest, more than your weight of the conversation in this one. Um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to next time when we get to do this face to face. Yeah. It'll be nice. No more. It will be no more. nice. No more stuttering phone conversations. Yeah. No more. Oh, go ahead. You go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no, no. no, no, no what? Sorry. No, didn't catch that. No, no. That's all the stuff that you guys don't have to listen to, listeners, because we clean that shit up before you have to deal with it. Because Dylan cleans it up. Yes. Dylan is Be- a tireless uh, editor. Well, thank you for saying so. Yes. All right. Thanks so much, Caroline. And yeah, like I said, looking forward to the next one. And that's going to be everything for this episode from the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of the Netflix content like show notes, articles, and reviews. If you want to follow us, you can find us on a smattering of social media platforms. We are on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at NetflixPod, and we're on SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. If you want to follow me directly, you can find me on Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram at Dylan Clark Moore. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. One of them is by heading over to iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, or whichever podcast platform you prefer, and subscribing so that each new episode comes straight to you. While you're there, you can drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. Even more importantly, be sure to tell your friends about what we're doing here. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards or just to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at Patreon.com or by hitting the Support Netflix button at the top of Netflix.ca. 
This podcast is produced and edited by me, and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thanks very much for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast, and be sure to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole other movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.